From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yen Chi Shu about Alvo, Nebraska. The village residents, they want a safe and peaceful neighborhood. They want to be in a, you know, environment that is sound for well-being and their children, and that's understandable. And then, on the other hand, you have a giant tire pile at the edge of the town, and then that's been written up for violations, but nothing is being done from the village board. And that person, the owner of the tire pile, is also on the board, not cooperating. We talk about the social, environmental, and political crisis in Alvo, Nebraska, centered on a big pile of tires. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Riverside Chats is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong, bringing you the unique perspectives, personalities, and topics you love. Click the listener support link in the podcast notes for this episode to learn more. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yen Chi Shu about the intersecting crises in Alvo, Nebraska. Alvo is a small town of about 115 people between Omaha and Lincoln. It's the kind of place you probably haven't ever thought about unless you live near it. The kind of place that can be easy to romanticize as a typical town in the heartland. And where nobody's looking, maybe that's because there's nothing to see. But other times, there's so much under the surface that it can be difficult to wrap your mind around all of it. Today, Yen Chi Shu is here to help me wrap my mind around Alvo. A story of toxic contamination of land, of water, of political incompetence, and a cultural crisis, all stemming from a pile of tires. Here is our conversation. I want to start with sort of a broad portrait of Alvo before we get to the chaos of Alvo. So can you just sort of like paint a picture of what is what is a village of 115 people like? Um, so, I mean, when you drive there, um, it's pretty much a, you know, small town. And then you see, like, there's only so many streets. There's a you know, a couple of houses, you know, lined up um, near where everyone lives. And so most of the people, it's when I was there, it was very quiet because it's during the day. And you kind of assume that for that kind of community is very much of a, you know, bedroom community so Mm -hmm. that people, um, you know, commute. Um, So it was very quiet. And then, um, but you never know what happens, you know, at (laughs) night or in the evening when people actually go to the meetings. You know, one of our sources said it's an itty-bitty town and, you know, kind of um, small town vibe. And then, of course, there's, like, not a lot of businesses around, I would say. And then, you know, all the houses, they're, like, you know, a lot of them are modest and Mm -hmm. um, not the super, you know, upscale (laughs) housing you'd see here in Omaha. So, like, where do people, is it, like, a farming community or where does the money come from? Like, what kind of jobs do people in Alvo tend to have? I think that um, from what I was told, you know, like there is a um, kind of like a Christmas tree farm or something there. And then all of the businesses are not like near where they live. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really see any kind of, you know, there's not like a main street where there's like shops and everything there. It's very much just residential from um, what I saw, uh, um, of course, there's the recycling business. Yes, which we will we right. will get to there yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> I want to hold off on that though because that'll that'll take up a, a fair amount of our discussion, I think. But so a small or what do you know the distinction actually between a village and a small town? I feel like I keep saying small town. I'm not sure if there is a direct one. Is it just like a population thing? I don't know. I don't see many towns per se here in Nebraska, but um, it seems that you know a village. Um, for, for a place to be a village would be between 100 and 800 people. Okay. So, so it's a population. Sm- yeah, it's smaller than a city, basically. Got it. Yeah. And so Alvo is located between Omaha and Lincoln. Uh, how So, like, how do you get to – what's the easiest way anyone gets to and from Alvo? So you take I-80, and then um, you can take uh, Highway 63. Okay. Yeah. So it was, like, about, you know, 45 minutes drive from 
Omaha. Okay. So, I mean, it's a place that basically people have maybe not driven directly through, but they've driven by a lot because a lot of people go from Omaha to Lincoln and vice versa. Uh-huh. And it's not something that I certainly have never heard of Alvo really until it entered the news in the last couple of years. Uh, but one of the things that's in the news is we have both the tires, which we'll get to. And then one more question I have before we actually jump into it is a village board is sort of how a, a town like this or a village like that is run, right? The major decisions mm-hmm. are made by the board who are generally elected people. So can you give us a little bit of a sense of what exactly is a village board and how it works? Right, yeah. So it's basically their governing buddy. So what you see as kind of the equivalent of, uh, you know, uh, town council and then um, other city city council and then also what you see as kind of the basically the you know the the body that runs the place so everything from small decisions like you know how they're collecting their bills uh, budget decisions that need, need to make and also including um, any kind of recall election <laughs> you <Yes>. know, <laughs> uh, decisions so um, yeah uh, they're elected, um, you know, they have a term that they need to serve, and then um, it's staggered, and then they um, there's a kind of a chairperson who's in charge of the board. So, um, you know, that person kind of just presides over the meetings, and then um, they'll just tell everyone else, like, what's on the agenda, and then, um, yeah, like, that person's, like, overseeing the... Mm-hmm kind of the, the ins and outs of the, their business, basically. And so one of the members of that board is one of the people we're here to talk about. So in 2015, my understanding is uh, one of the board members, Larry Langer, and then Betty Ann Rose, began to take in used tires. Uh, did, they, did they start this in the 2015 or in 2015 or around there? But basically it was part of a recycling program for tires. They started to accumulate them. Is that around the right time? Right. Um, yeah. Larry Langer is actually the only board member who actually owns the place. So um Beth is his business partner, so mm-hmm. he, she's not on the board. But he's on the board. Yeah, he's on the board. And so um, so what originally started as, you know, a, a recycling business, it was smaller, and then um, they didn't really have tires there, so they applied for a permit from the, uh, the Nebraska Department of Environment and Energy, so they applied a permit from them. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're able to, you know, kind of haul the tires based on the permit. And so it's tires that are used or like they're blown out and they just start to accumulate a lot of them. And how do you, how do you, what do you do to recycle a tire? <laughs> so uh, f- uh, based on what I was told, um, so he's, you know, the uh, Larry Langer, he stores them, you know, on his property and then he kind of shreds them and then all hauls them out to other facilities. And then so that, you know, he's supposed to get rid of them or dispose mm-hmm. of them in the end, but then you know, he just basically processed them, um, you know, right on his property. So he's kind of just a middleman then in the process of recycling. Yeah, yeah, that's what I understand. Okay. So, I mean, other people I know have done controlled burns of tires, right? Because it's sort of difficult to know what to do with them. Other places in Nebraska have occasionally burned big piles, and it's created this sort of big cloud of probably toxic air that's not great to be around. Uh, and there's sort of some environmental concerns about having a lot of tires stored in one spot. Like, what what exactly is the problem with having big piles of tires sitting around on land? Right, yeah. Of course, there's been a lot of concerns. So um, if you talk to or if you listen to kind of their, um, um, their the meetings of, you know, the, the meeting recordings and then look at the minutes, you'll see that, like, there's 20-some violations that the uh, planning committee uh, cited them for. So um, that includes everything from noise complaints and, you know, like um, environmental ha- hazards in terms of, you know, like runoffs. And so that's what uh, a lot of people are concerned about. So uh, one village resident actually told me that they got the soil ne- near the uh, the facility or the test pile tested. And then, of course, like a lot of the chemicals and especially you know just metal like came uh, came back like way above the safe limit so that's one of their concerns and you know like and then say if you if there's a lot of vehicles you know um coming out and you know in and out of the you know facility then you'll see um sometimes 
like residents kind of raise the concern of what if you know the door is not locked and it like knocked someone over, and then so that those are kind of the you know main concerns and also people are complaining about just the sight of this you know kind of um, um, hurt their property values. Mm-hmm. So those are. Um, the main concerns that I heard. Well, and so like a, a tire is sort of made of toxic rubber, right? That's sort of always just sort of, I don't know what the word is, but polluting any space around it if you let it sit long enough, right? Mm-hmm. So the soil and presumably the water also is kind of at risk because of this. Is that right? Yeah, they're, um, yes, that's what they're saying because, um, you know, there's some water sources near there, um, the Weeping Water Creek near it. And so, um, yeah, that's definitely something that I've heard. And also, of course, you have fire hazards as well. Like you've, you know, you, you probably hear other stories in other places where um, the tire pile got caught on fire and mm-hmm. then um, that could like literally destroy someone's house. Well, and in this case, probably it could destroy a lot more, right? Because we're not talking about a hundred tires. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of tires, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So would that put the whole town at jeopardy then if that pile were to catch fire? I mean, uh, that's not something that I've. We we don't know for sure, right? Well, it'd and be pretty because bad to yeah, have yeah, it is. Five hundred thousand so, tires on fire, right? Right, yeah. And then of course, like for 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 the tile pile to like continue to um, operate and exist, the you know, fire marshals actually had um, rules that they should have for fire lane in case you know it, it caught on fire, and then you know a fire truck should be able to enter you know their um, the space and actually be able to drive through, right, mm-hmm. if there's fires that they need to put out. Um, but, yeah, in that case, they definitely, like, violated some of the rules, um, you know, the fire safety rules before and then until uh, the fire marshals came out and told them comply with the rules and did they actually excavate the fire lanes and instead of just, you know, leaving the tires all about. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yen Chi Shu about the environmental and political crisis stemming from Alvo, Nebraska's giant pile of tires. Join the conversation on social media or call in with what Omaha issue is on your mind this week in a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on one of our upcoming shows. Well, yeah, because there's a few pictures of the story, and it looks like at one point it's, I mean, it's so many tires, it's hard to say it's, like, nicely organized, right? But it's sort of like they're all clumped together in one area. And then there was another picture where they sort of spread really far, or maybe it was just growing so much. And then it sort of went back to being a little bit more organized. So there's been various evolutions of the piles. Yeah, that, um, of course, that changed when there was a lot of, you know, discussions and fights, you know, on at the meetings when people try to, you know, get Larry Langer to comply with the rules and also just to uh, to be able to clean up all the, the tires. And then, you know, it all evolved um, the the same time as his son, who, you know, um, said that he, he's taking over the business as his son is trying to kind of um, have, a conversa- have a conversation with the uh, villagers and and tell them what he's working on. So he's saying that he's trying to get the whole situation under control. But then, you know, like some of the most recent, um, you know, reports they submitted to the NDE um, were actually all self-reported. So the tire inventory right now, they said, or the uh, his son said that they're in compliance, but it, it's hard to figure out whether they truly are. Because somebody would have to go count every single one of those tires. Right, yeah, because the NDE actually did an estimate of it based on a drone footage, and so technically they're they're able to kind of count the tires based based on the height of everything and then and how like how many tires were moved out, like based on the um, self-reported numbers and tire inventory from Larry Langer and his son. Well, so there was some kind of agreement that was met, right, to have it reach something close to 300,000 tires, right? I want to say in the story, it says something along the lines of they had to roughly cut their number in half. And then I was shocked to see that the number was down to like 300,000 or some massive number like that. If you look at the report, you, you do see like a kind of a, a cleanup effort between they were first cited and they first um, agreed to the consent decree. But then um, it 
like the MDE report even said that it appeared to be growing again. So they definitely reduced the you know tire pile in the first place, but then were they able to keep it up? Um, we're not sure. Um, yeah. Well, so I, don't, I don't. I guess a thing I don't get is I, I guess there must be some kind of profit along the way of being this middleman, right? But it's not so profitable that it's motivating him to move the inventory off in a quick way or at least in a way that would create an equilibrium with the amount of tires that are coming in. So, I mean, what, what, why is it that the pile is so much bigger than tire piles that we generally see? What is it that's so unusual about it? So from the NDE records, Larry Langer and Beth Ambrose kind of mentioned that they had some sort of, um, you know, machines broken, you know, broken down at you know, at the facility, so they weren't able to process the tires on time. And so that's why they were supposed to move, move them out and because they should have done processing them, but they weren't at that time. It just seems like we generally are in a situation where there's got to be people who do this all over the place, right? And they just don't tend to accumulate quite this many tires without doing something about them. And one of the complications was, I imagine that there are places where when this is posing an environmental risk, there are authorities who come in to do something about that. And eventually that sort of happened here, but it got pretty bad before that became the case, right? So, I mean, what was it that eventually actually got the Nebraska environmental agencies to sort of notice this and then feel like they had to intervene? Right, yeah. So um, it took a lot of effort so in the first place, this, there's this village resident, uh, Dennis Templemeyer, who've been, you know, trying to get the uh, State Department of Environment and Energy to come in and intervene. And of course, they had, uh, I mean, like Larry Langer and his business, they had their annual reports to do as well. But for the state to kind of act and um, step in, it took Dennis a lot of effort to just kind of get them to, to come. So I, I think kind of part of the delay had to do with the fact that they weren't on site for a long time and then it took them a while to actually get there to see what's happening see how many tires are there and actually to count them so that they are able to kind of see the full picture and mm-hmm. be able to say that you know if Larry Langer's business was in violation or not and so I mean Essentially, then, it's it's not that easy if you – I guess it's kind of weird to me. You'd think that in the case of there being some kind of potential environmental uh, toxic spill that's maybe poisoning people or, you know, poisoning water supplies, you'd think that would be kind of a, a big concern that's worth looking into. Why, why do you think it took so long to get somebody out there? That's a good question. Based on my reporting, it seems that, you know, for any kind of um, state agencies to get involved and it really relies on, like, monitoring, right? So if they are aware of the situation even. Um, so a lot of it really comes down to whether there's oversight and watchdogs out there sometimes. You know, you, you can't really rely on what's self-reported, right? <laughs> because if uh, Larry Langer, say if they're not you know, reporting the numbers, right, or if they're not counting it, right, and then nobody else is, you know, reporting this to the state regulatory agencies, and who's going to know about this, right? And then, from what I was told, even a lot of village residents were not aware of the existence of the uh, tire pile. Oh, really? Even when, I, when they moved there. I guess when I, when I picture Alvo, I picture, like, just this huge heaping shadow that's cast over the whole village because of the tire piles. Yeah, because um, you see that it's all fenced up. So you, if you don't go over to the edge of the town, you don't really see it. And then, um, yeah, like uh, Brandy um, Jordan, who I mentioned in the story, she told me that she never kind of stepped foot, you know, near the the property because she's just she's not aware of it at all when she bought the house. But then she just never really wanted to be near it. Um, because of that. So, I mean, this kind of nuisance is not something that you, it's not something on everyone's radar, like right off the bat, like it will take some time and, you know, for someone to, to actually do something, you you, you hear a lot of complaints, but then a lot of it and a lot of the concerns I've heard is that there is a lot of inaction and then it would take a lot for those in violation of state rules to, to actually start to comply there's not a lot of scrutiny over them in the first place. 
And that's probably why um, Alpha got into the whole recall fiasco. Yeah. So let's maybe start to transition into that because one of the other problems is that, you know, generally the way our society is structured is there are people in power who you are supposed to complain to who are supposed to address problems, right? But when the problem is in some way tied to some of the people in power, then that gets more complicated. And so we end up with this situation where uh, the board gets involved in a pretty big way, and then we get our own sort of fiasco related to the village board of Alvo. And so ultimately what we're leading up to, and I want a little bit uh, to, to build toward, is that there was a petition that went out to village residents to recall village board president Robin LePage, alleging that she'd misappropriated funds and abused public records. So, I mean, what was her role in all this in relation to Langer and the tire pile? Right, yeah. So when I started reporting on it, I wasn't so sure what Robin LePage's role was. But then um, once you kind of get into um, how the village got to where they were, um, meaning that how they were even considering voting no on a an agenda item that they should vote yes for. So it's all connected. So Robin LePage, as the chairperson of the board, she signs off on kind of their budgets and everything related to um, checks that need to be made out to their contractors and everything. So she's kind of the leader of the board in terms of her responsibilities. A lot of the allegations around her uh, came from criticism of her inaction um, for failing to bring Larry Langer into compliance because, like I mentioned, um, the village board, or at least Robin LePage and another village board member, took issues with uh, Langer's business, uh, citing a lot of you know violations by the planning committee. But she kept saying that those public meetings when someone would bring up the issue to the board to ask them to do something about it. A lot of residents were pleading them to do something. But Robin said, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but our hands are tied. So that's kind of the sentiment that she's expressing at those meetings, saying that, well, the village is broke. That has a lot to do with the past history of uh, past embezzlements by a previous clerk. Just so I understand, the money that she's saying they don't have to address the problem would be to do something about the big tire pile? Right, yeah. So so here's the thing. The village of Alvo doesn't have its own uh, law enforcement unit. So for it to actually do something, they would need to contact sheriffs from Cass County. But sheriffs won't necessarily enforce local village ordinances. So what Robin LePage was saying is that we'd have to, or the village of Elvo would have to take Larry Langer to court to resolve this. And then she said during a meeting that Larry Langer threatened to sue the board. Because of that, the board decided not to do anything because the board couldn't afford a lawsuit. So is it a crime what he was doing? Because he's breaking, what, uh, environmental practices that's a violation if mm-hmm. or there for the, the legal basis of it would be the town ordinance okay. for the town to act because otherwise it would be other civil matters that um, for um, other village residents to to kind of address right so okay. Robin LePage um, was saying that yes like Larry Langer um, violated um town ordinances or um, she kind of acknowledged the the complaints uh, she's heard and then but then she said that the the state is doing something meaning that the NDE is asking them to comply to reduce the tire um, numbers and and, that'd be asking Langer Langer yeah okay yeah to to reduce the tire tire pile. So so she's trying to convince everyone that that's sufficient, and then we'll leave it to the state to resolve this. And so this is something that I imagine was taken as kind of an underwhelming response from people in the village who wanted a more probably immediate and dramatic action. Right, yeah. So um, there's a couple times where um, a village resident would go up to them, you know, including Dennis Templemeyer, 
yeah, there's a lot of cursing, you know, like at those meetings. And then, uh, you know, you hear their criticism of the board for, for, for sure, because Dennis was saying, like, you always say that your hands are tied. There's nothing we can do. Why do we have to, as residents of the village, why do we have to deal with this, right? Because the village residents, they want a safe and peaceful neighborhood. They want to be in a, you know, environment that is sound for well-being and their children, and that's understandable. And then, on the other hand, you have a giant tire pile at the edge of the town, and then that's been written up for violations, but nothing is being done Mm -hmm. from the village board. And that person, the owner of the tire pile, is also on the board, not cooperating. Right. Cooperative, yeah. Well, and there were also, I mean, beyond just the safety as far as environmental concerns uh, and fire concerns, there was also a lot of complaints about sort of incidents between residents and Langer, right? Uh So, I mean, people were sort of expressing some of their concerns to him, and he was responding sort of uh, in, in sort of violent, uh, not violent, but like volatile ways, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, um, so it really comes down to how, um, you know, some residents take issues with how Langer conducts himself, and, you know, because sometimes he would not respond to questions when they asked him about his tires when are you going to clean up we have a lot of concerns we hear so much noise at night with you know your tires are you know causing so he would sometimes not respond and and say like well you reported me to uh, sheriffs or the state or whatever and saying that other people are not telling you know the truth when at, at the meetings so it's very much just sort of like a passive-aggressive response to any kind of confrontation uh, or get angry but not (laughs) respond to those uh, questions. And so that's why Layer Langer and Dennis Templemeyer had a lot of fights, you know, over. Yeah, including what, like some allegations of people trying to drive each other over and it's some, some really intense stuff at times, right? Yeah, yeah. You definitely see that kind of weird dynamic you know like between you know residents and the tire pile owner langer himself just you know when they talk about his business it's like he a lot of times would just try to defend himself and then you know saying that all the allegations are false without really getting into the details it's so even when i asked him like what's going on are you doing what you can to clean it up he just kind of gave a very uh, broad stroke response and be like, yeah, I'm doing it just according to the law. I'm not yeah. in violation. Well, but so it's one of those situations where there's sort of this hope that he's going to be doing all of this in good faith, right? That he's going to be doing what he says he's doing. But there isn't that sense of accountability because the village is struggling to figure out what, to, what, if anything, they can do, in part because they don't have money to do anything. And so that kind of all boils over in a situation all about, like you said, about somebody on the board who is now not facing accountability for doing something that's maybe putting people in various forms of danger. And so did the, the idea of recalling the village board president, Robin LePage, come from that sort of anger that people had over inaction? Right. Yeah. So um, when so uh, a lot of village residents or let's say like uh, some of the village residents that I talked to, they're really disappointed at the boards um, and meaning that uh, they wanted to see more changes, but there's just not much. And then, um, well, like one, (laughs) you know, uh, village resident said that they're all, you know, in bed together. And so. Um, um, because of that, um, the only way to have a change in how the board handles things would be for the, the leadership to change, it seems, um, uh, or that's what the village residents saw. And then the only way to get village board members off the board would be to recall them Mm -hmm. in the middle of their, uh, their terms. And, uh, I want to mention that. Uh, Robin LePage's recall 
uh, petition uh, also came from allegations that she abused um, or she misappropriated village funds because um, there's a lot of highway funds um, that um, should have been, or highway loans that should have been paid off by a highway fund from the state, but it just, it was nowhere to be found, or um, even a, another village board member said that he's not able to um, account for, like, where's the money, you know, where's the money spent, uh, like, what's the money spent for, and where's the money gone, so, um, you know, because, um, Kind of the the argument from uh, one of the petitioner, Kathina Reeves, is that uh, Ro- Robin is the person who signs off on checks, you know, and she sh- should know because Robin's uh, response was that I don't know, I never looked at the the books like um, the clerk is supposed to be doing that. So, um, but but then of course like she she's in charge of the board, so like the board actually needed to make decisions on um, all the spending. It's not, like, really her call, but then um, what the um, Kathina Reeves is telling me is that uh, she's disappointed that Robin's not showing her leadership and also not fulfilling her job duties because of the lack of accountability mm-hmm. in basic questions. Like, if the, the, the town is, you know, in such, um, you know, uh, financial trouble, then where is the money? Right. Um, if they're, they they want to kind of rebuild the community, right? Um, and, and there's still no answer on that, too, right? <laughs> no, yeah, not that I know of. And this then, audit still hasn't happened? Um, right. And then um, because uh, Kathina Reeves told me that um, she asked for uh, records from the board before kind of to and demanded to know, like, uh, to get the bank statements, but then um, at least up until um, the story is published, like there hasn't been a response or um, not a lot of people have seen the full, um, you know, bank statements, you know, because um, that's private. Mm-hmm. You're not able to get that if you're just a village Resident, you have to get authorization from the board to actually obtain it uh, and then to check on their loan status and everything. I'm talking with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yen Chi Shu about the environmental and political crisis stemming from Alvo, Nebraska's giant pile of tires. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of this conversation after the break. Strange planets. So we're going on day 14. Shuttle still hasn't come. Mystifying starships. Looking up. I mean, whoa. Had to be rich to take that ride. Bigger than any ship I'd ever seen before. Curious technology. Set it to oh, uh, 21st century Earth, West Indian accent. I love that one. Are you out of your skull? And a fantastic vision of the distant future. Featuring Martin Starr. That's the Sunday shuttle landing. Our last visitors before they shut the topiary down tomorrow. Aparna Nancherla. The security system provides you with emotional security. You do the rest. Echo Kellum. Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry Kondabolu. Yeah, you don't need to fill anything out or sign me up for anything. I'm staying. Brent Weinbach. Residents may accuse you of lying. This is common. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jeffrey McGiver. Could you play Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun? I'm sure we can. It's for my daughter. Of course, sir. And many more. It's The Outer Reach. Stories from Beyond. Every episode of this science fiction anthology is now available for free at MaximumFun.org or anywhere you listen. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and I've been doing this show for a while now. Check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. And please leave us some reviews. We need some reviews. We'd like reviews. Thanks for reviews. We asked you what you think Nebraska should be doing to tackle the climate crisis. Here's what we heard this week. 
I'm calling to respond to what I think Nebraska should do in response to the climate crisis. And I believe that Nebraska should legalize all plants and make a deep investment in root-based products, particularly hemp, sunflower, oats, soy, and beans so that we can produce biofuels, uh, plastics, and building materials that can significantly drive down the cost of construction, improve the quality of our homes, buildings, and habitats, and improve our overall economy because we localize all of our materials, manufacturing, and construction in a way that is regenerative and cyclical. I believe Nebraska has all the tools it needs and the people necessary to make something like this happen as an agriculture state. We already have the amazing infrastructure um, and land in order to support our not only our community, but surrounding ones. And the big difference between now and the future is who is rooted in the earth and who isn't. Remember, you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on one of our upcoming shows. I'm talking today with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yen Chi Shu about the environmental and political crisis in Alvo, Nebraska, which all stemmed from a giant pile of tires. Here's the rest of our conversation. So there, there must be a lot of speculation then about where this money's gone. Where, what are some of the theories out there about what happened with it? So there are allegations that it's been embezzled. Of course, we have no proof. And then Robin's own explanation is that Part of the road funds were used to on road projects, but then how much and on what is still not something that we know so far because of the lack of bank statements and financial uh, accounting. You know, we, we, we do know that the funds they've already gotten in the past few years, because each year they got around $20,000, and it, it's not a lot. It won't, like, pay the full amount if they want to pave the road, but it should be saved up. But from, you know, what the village resin saw, those loans weren't paid off um, at this point. And then they still owed a lot of money. There's also, so Kathina also uh, speculated that it was just used for other purposes instead of roads. So it was just spent as if there were general funds, you know, based on this audit waiver from the auditor's office. So it still remains to be seen. I'd be really interested in knowing what the audit would show us mm-hmm. in the future. Well, so in a situation where the board doesn't seem to want to hold itself accountable, one of the only recourses that residents have is something like a recall. And so my understanding is the petition to recall Robin LePage did get enough signatures to go forward, but then ultimately the board led by LePage decided not to hold the recall. Is that right? Right. So both board members' recall petitions had enough signatures on them so that essentially the board members were bound by law to you know, hold the election to, or to order an election. But they just said at a meeting, or Robin pretty much just said, based on my understanding, we could vote either yes or no. I suggest that we vote no because we need the money to pay or we, we, we don't want to spend the money on a recall election. We, we need this money to, to get our village insurance. So a recurring theme seems to be that she cares a lot about where money's going when people are upset at the board. But then when they're not upset, it's sort of unclear where exactly the money's going and how it's being spent. Is that fair? <laughs> um, there's a lot of just missing links there. You know, you, you you can't really have a full picture of it. And she seems to be the person who should be able to answer those questions. But she just wasn't answering them in full. And also she's saying, well, all the board members were part-time anyways. Yeah. And so it, it, it's just not their full-time job to be able to <laughs> know everything. Okay. Well, it seems interesting as well from an ethical perspective that she could make the call on whether to proceed with her own recall. Um, That's what she seemed to present um, at the hearing. Mm -hmm. Of course, the court ordered them to actually hold the election because that's their duty, statutory duty, based on just state laws governing recall elections. 
well, like the plaintiff's lawyer said, they had no right so you who, know, to wh- do this. What was the lawsuit? Who was the one who brought this decision to the forefront? Yeah, so uh, I spoke with um, Cass County Election Commissioner and uh, their county attorney. It doesn't seem like there's a clear um, answer in the statute in terms of who should file the lawsuit when the board failed to comply with the state law to to order the election. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't seem like in recent years there's been a similar case either. The state law does say that residents or petitioners could file a lawsuit, you know, when the board fails to deliver their duties on ordering a recall. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. And um, Dennis Templemeyer and Kathina Reeves, because both their um, both of their petitions were ignored, so they went to David Domino, who's probably <laughs> one of the most well-known lawyers in the state. And so he took the case because he was saying that this should be a lesson for every elected official in the state. He's saying that when you're not happy with the outcome, if you want to change it, you have to go by the books and not just decide that you're not going to obey the law. Sure, yeah. So it seems like there's several lessons in there, right? So there's that element of just basic uh, governance, of having constituents and caring about them. Maybe also some lessons in uh, accounting and uh, how you spend money or how you keep a track of it. Maybe lessons in like environmental uh, situations. So yeah, there's, there's kind of a lot going on there. So ultimately, then, what what was the result? Have they done a recall? Yes. So uh, a recall um, happened. Actually, they finished counting the ballots yesterday. So um, what happened was uh, after the uh, you know. Both parties or attorneys for both parties presented the case in court in November. Um, The board voted as ordered by the judge to hold a recall election um, in December at the December monthly meeting. Um, So that's the, you know, official kind of um, decision on the the recall because um, they're bound by law. Mm-hmm. So they set a date for it. So the board set a date for it. That's um, February 15th. That's um, Registered voters in the village got a ballot sent to them and then they just mailed them in to um, you know, the election commissioner and then so uh, it seems that after they finished counting, Robin LePage got enough votes to um, you know be off the board and then Larry Langer though he had more no votes on the recall um, so he's likely staying what do you what do you how do you explain that how do, I mean this this whole thing started because of Larry Langer because of his huge tire piles because of the danger they've caused how is it that he got enough votes to stay on the board right for um, so first of all um, there's only 30 39 votes cast um, in total. So he got uh, 22 no votes and 17 yes votes. So you don't see a lot of participation there um, because there's way more um, registered voters in the village. And um, so when I was in Elvo, I'm trying to like knock on doors. Not everyone, you know, wanted to talk and some people told me that they're not they're not aware of what's happening you know with what's going on essentially and then some of them just said that they didn't have an opinion to me it's kind of surprising to see that and then when I asked like some residents what they thought about um, the results they told me it really the participation speaks for itself you'd think that Elvo got into the situation where the board v- voted no on a on a recall election they're supposed to uh, vote yes on. Um, it happened because, partly because there is not a lot of public scrutiny. Because of that, you see kind of a similar um, situation here, because not a lot of people like would go to uh, board meetings, and not everyone is in the loop. And then you see this kind of recall after so much media coverage you don't you don't see everyone just you know 
voting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Flatwater Free Press reporter Yenchi Shu about the environmental and political crisis in Alvo, Nebraska. Join the conversation on social media or call in with what issues on your mind this week in a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on one of our upcoming shows. There's something surprising in the sense that when you think of a small town, a town or uh-huh. a village of like 115, the idea would be you basically know every. People say that about Omaha. Everybody knows everybody <laughs> in Omaha. It's so small compared to a big city. So when a town is or a village is small as Alvo, it's almost shocking that there's still almost half of the residents don't seem either to know or be invested enough to be voting in something like this, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, to be honest, um, well, some of, you know, some some village residents might be wanting to um you know, run for the board and actually get involved, but then you still have the same, you know, other board members there on the board. And how much would it take to actually change the culture there, right? Because, well, the, you know, when I went to the board meetings and some board members kept saying, well, if you want to change things, why don't you get on the board? And then, but not not a lot of people were there, mm-hmm. and then not everyone wanted to run. So, it really comes down to, you know, just, I want to say just civic participation and not necessarily, you know, f- especially for a, you know, like a community like this, um, where a lot of people like have their, you know, um, their jobs elsewhere and then not necessarily, you know, from the town. It, 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 I can see why it's hard for people to to want to be involved and, you know, um and but but of course like for a town to function again cuz it is uh, in deep water you know in terms of its democracy and financial um stability um for it to kind of get out of the situation to get out of the distress you you'd think that more people should be involved and you know should just step up is it too much of a leap to see this as kind of a microcosm of the country where you have a lot of problems, a sort of lack of accountability for people in power, but then also sort of a lack of engagement in people interested in trying to be involved in any kind of solution or changing of the culture? Um, I think that there are people like on different ends of the spectrum, right? So you have Larry Langer who kind of held on to his, you know, post for – um, a while and, you know, wanted people of, you know, or like-minded individuals to take his place if he had to step down. But on the other hand, you have kind of another group of kind of engaged individuals who are not necessarily on the board because it it is hard if you're, you know, um, in that position to um, to be held accountable, right? Does everyone want the accountability? And then everyone, and there, there are people like kind of in the middle who are disengaged and, you know, and then, or who, who are just also part of it could be that they're afraid of retaliation because it's such a small town. Um, with the recall, um, their petitions and their signatures, you can look it up. And so what's going to happen if, you know, like your next door neighbor, you took, you, you kind of, um, you have problems with them and they're hap- they happen to be board members and, you know, like, b- but on the other hand, are you comfortable, you know, voting them out, right? So, um, yes, like in smaller communities um, like Alvo, you see this kind of, you know, I want to say like governance is really hard sometimes when you have limited resources everyone kind of knows each other and then but then there is a clear um you know uh division there as well in terms of how people approach um governance and also just how people (laughs) approach um you know like kind of commute to building, you know. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately the tire pile is still there. 
Uh, Larry Langer is still on the board, and only the only person who's really not in the situation they started in is Robin LePage. Probably is how this all is going to shake out. Um, at this point, yes, but um, it doesn't seem like Dennis Templemeyer, um, you know, Katina Reeves, and Brandy Jordan, like, and you know, uh, other like-minded village residents are going to stop here. Um, they're trying to get the NDE involved again because if uh, Larry Langer is selling his um, property to his son, then the son would need to get a new permit because of it. So um, so they're still hoping accountability kicks in at some point. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'd also be interested in seeing who's going to take over Robin's um, position because you know, it takes leadership from someone, and then it is an investment for a lot of people to actually spend the time, you know, looking through their budget books and, you know, um, and being able to answer the questions that people or village residents are posing to them. Right. Kind of a low bar, but yeah, it takes leadership <laughs> nevertheless. Well, I appreciate you telling me this story, helping me understand this interesting Nebraska story that isn't exactly what we always hear. So I assume there's possibly going to be more developments on it that might get reported at the Flatwater Free Press. So where should people go to see both your reporting on this and then any additional reporting you're working on now? Um, sure, yeah. So um, uh, you can check out our stories um, on our website. Um uh, you, yeah, you can go on flatwaterfoodpress.org and then look at our latest stories, and then um, you can definitely search for stories. And then we, I also want to mention that uh, we have um, uh, different topics. Um, if you kind of select um, different coverage areas, you can see outside of uh, just Metro Omaha, we have stories of uh, covering the greater ne- Nebraska, which, you know, Elvo is the case, and, and you can search for stories there, and then, yeah, be sure to sign up for our email newsletters and, so that you can stay in the loop and get um, emails in your inbox to when there's a new development there. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate really everything the Flatwater Free Press is doing and your reporting on it, so thanks so much for being here today. No, thank you so much for having me. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.